Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined by my partner and friend, CEO and founder of Startups.com, Will Schroeder. Well, you know, we hear that money can't buy happiness, and it's one of those things where in startup land, you know, we start businesses for lots of reasons, right? But money is always at least some component of it, because at a bare minimum, we sort of need it to survive, right? Us, the business, the people that we pay to help us build the business, you know, there may be some grander vision there. But at the end of the day, the things need to make money. And we've sort of tied this idea that, you know, each and every one of our own versions of happiness somehow has money tethered to it, which rather implies that, like, once we have money, we're happy. In your experience and mine, let's dig through, like, where that's been true and for how long and, and what the fallacies there are. Well, I think it's a big thing to be so convinced of that money can buy happiness <laughs> yeah. because think of how much time and effort and, and we're deferring all these hopes and dreams and you know relationships for this goal. And what if that goal, that money's going to buy this happiness, was untrue? You know, what if we were spending all of that time toward this and we got over the other side of it and we were like, wait a minute. That didn't do at all what I thought it was going to do. Yeah, exactly. And I never really spent the time to unpack what was essentially a myth. And I've got to caveat this, right? And I think we've talked about this before in other episodes. It's always easy for someone to say money can't buy happiness because they usually have it. Right, <laughs> right. yeah. It's typically, it's it's typically not said by somebody standing in the soup kitchen line, right? Like it's, Exactly, it's, right? Yeah. And so I think what we should talk about today a bit is not just why money can't buy happiness, but I think we should also talk about why being in debt or you know being on the other side of it is actually just a different problem altogether than happiness. Sure. Because I think at its core, what we're missing is the fact that not having money breeds endless misery, right? I think Correct. That's well proven, and I don't think anybody needs to be convinced of that. But I think there's this concept or this causation, I think if you said it before, whereby if I change that and I have money, well, that must mean happiness comes because not having it makes me sad. Right. Well, let's talk about the difference between those two things. And let's talk about them in, in terms of their longevity, right? So when you think about debt and happiness from a time frame perspective, debt doesn't necessarily stop, right? Happiness is a fleeting moment, right? Right, right. I won't quote George Carlin on this one, but he had some nice thoughts on what happiness is. They were all fairly short-lived things, whereas conversely, debt can go on and on and on, and the emotional impact of that can go on and on and on. Interestingly, you know, and I think this is more of a U.S. problem, as I've talked to more and more people from far-flung places where debt is not the automatic choice. It's as though we've become so accustomed to having some level of debt. And when I say some level of debt, the level of debt that we're willing to accept in the U.S. is massive. Like when I tell people that, yeah, you know, like typical, you know, people are buying, you know, $500,000 homes. I'm like, where do they get all that cash? I'm like, they don't. They don't have any of that money. They put down 5%. Right. They're like, wait, what? They put down $25,000 and now they have, you know, $475,000 in debt. I was like, no, it's actually more than that because there's closing costs and all this other stuff. And they're just like, that's insane. And how long is that going to take them to pay off? Oh, you know, 30 years, although there are some companies now doing 40-year mortgages, and they're just like, they're mind blown. They're like, that feels like forever. And I think that is kind of the point, right? It is. And listen, I think at its core, 
like we were saying earlier, the fact that so much of us have so much pointed toward getting out of this, I think part of what we need to understand is what problem we're actually solving. And conversely, what problem we're actually not solving, right? So let's talk about the debt side first, right? You know, not having money. Because the way I describe it to folks, not having money is like having a huge, giant, honking bruise where you're constantly feeling it. Every time you move, you feel it. It's always on your mind. It's always preventing you from doing something, right? It's annoying as hell. And all you think of, if I can just get rid of this bruise, then I'll be healthy. You just described going to the gym for me. but yes. <laughs> Every single day, right? <laughs> but the truth is, once that bruise goes away, you're not more healthy. You're just as healthy as you ever were to begin with, right? Yeah. And you're not necessarily happy about the fact that it's not there every day, right? I, I suppose it depends on where it was appearing. But yeah, it's, you know, if we're going to tie this back to happiness, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden now I feel great because it's gone, right? No, I just feel normal again. Well, so to stick with that, when I was starting off my career, kind of, you know, through childhood and stuff, I didn't have any money. I was super, super broke. And all of our problems were always mapped back to money. Yeah. And I think the other aspect of this that's worth noting is that money is such an obvious thing, it's such a binary thing, that you either do or you don't have to solve some sort of life problem, right? So you take a couple, and they're super stressed out and arguing all the time because they don't have enough money to pay bills. It's super stressful. But what that tends to kind of mask is maybe even if they did have the money to pay bills, they'd still be arguing right? Oh, I can point to a few that I would be willing to put very, very good odds to the taker on that bet. <laughs> that would still be the issue. And again, the same goes not just from relationships, but those relationships exist within startups as well. Think of two oh, co-founders sure. who are yep. kind of leveraged to the max on cash, and they're arguing over all kinds of stuff constantly with this idea that once we got past that, and once the startup's making some money, you know, we won't have those arguments anymore. Correct. Part of that is true. You won't have the arguments over that. Over money, right, yeah. Anything right. that was directly related to. But in the same way that we talk about, you know, we have a lot of early stage folks come to us saying like they want to raise funds. And we're like, hey, Sparky, you might want to dry the ink on the cocktail napkin with the idea on it before we move into the fundraising phase. But hold that thought for a second. Because they assume that just taking on that money is going to solve all their problems. And it's just not. It's going to solve the ones that are specifically related to, I need cash to pay someone for something that I understand is going to help my business right now, which is actually very few things, right? It's mostly the unknowns that cause these issues. It's not the lack of cash. Now, having more money makes some of those problems easier, for sure. Don't get me wrong. But it's not like it's the magic cure. Not having it, again, has very specific challenges and outcomes that everybody's more than aware of, right? That's yes. not hard to figure out. And so I think where we get stuck, though, is we're so incredibly distracted by money all of the time, or the lack thereof. Yes. Right? Because most life problems have a dollar figure attached to them, right? More specifically, the life problems that you can't afford not only have a dollar figure attached to them, they have a timeline attached to them. For example, if I'm super hungry right now, and the problem's hunger, I can feel it in my tummy, but... I can't go to the store and buy food, right? Well, then money is my problem, right? But if I can't afford to go to the store and buy food, I'm still hungry, right? It still hasn't changed the fact that I'm hungry. The only thing that changes is the fact that I can solve the problem. Now, the difference is 
for folks that are on the wrong side of this equation, which is most of the world, that's why I think this is such a salient topic. The idea is that, look, every problem that's sitting in front of me, again, has a dollar figure attached to it. You know, there's a mortgage I can't afford, there's startup costs I can't afford, you name it. There's all the health problems, you name it. Yes. And so if I had the cash, then those problems would go away. And therefore, all the things that make me unhappy, conversely, will go away, and I'll be able to do shit that does make me happy, right? And, and this is where it starts to get into a slippery slope. Money doesn't allow us to buy happiness, and, and we'll get into that, but it does allow us to make pain go away, which isn't the same thing. Back to my bruise analogy, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, when I first started back to jujitsu, soccer, and yoga all in a two-week period, which was not a bright move, and immediately flared up my knee, I had to wait six weeks for that pain to go away before I could start doing the things I want to do. So pain can get in the way of achieving the things that you want to, but we have to be really careful about drawing lines of correlation versus causation. I know you and I both have personal stories and we have stories of founder friends who assume that once a money event happened, that all of a sudden the problems would go away and therefore happiness would appear. It's that second part that's not necessarily true. You now have the ability, maybe the time, maybe the resources to go and do those things that you believe will make you happy. We spent an episode on this, Will, but that's often not validated at all. These are things that people assume they're going to like. They're like, I am going to take up sailing once I sell my company. That's going to make me super happy. Cool. When was the last time you sailed? Never. (laughs) You might want to try it out before you set your entire life's compass to achieving something that you believe will make you happy that you've never actually tried before. I also have to say this. Not having money, and again, I've kind of lived on both extremes of this continuum. Not having money prevents you from ever doing those things, right? So, you know, maybe that is what you want to be doing with your time, or at least you believe you want to be. But if you're constantly reminded and by way of that prevented from ever doing it, you never really get to a point where you're like, well, let me actually try it. Now, imagine this. Imagine everyone could have one year where money wasn't an issue and they had the opportunity to just explore all of their interests, right? And all the things that they were going to do with money. For an entire year. I feel like this was an 80s movie. I think there's a training video for this. Oh, yeah. This is, somehow has either Anthony Michael Hall or... Um... <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so I guess when folks would go through that exercise, here's what would happen. They would go do all the stuff they've ever wanted to do. They'd vacation. And by the way, this is, of course, a, a metaphor for like when somebody sells a company. Yes. And kind of, you know, has cash coming in overnight. They go do all of that stuff. And invariably, every single time they only come back to all the same stuff all the same issues all the same shit that they had prior to money just without the money problems right so that couple that was arguing they're still arguing after money problems they're just arguing over other stuff because money when you don't have it debt let's say distracts you but money doesn't fix you and i think that's the part because nobody gets tested until after they have it they never really understand why that's the case. So I want to back up on something there, which is that you said that you know nobody has this opportunity. If you don't have money, you don't have the opportunity to test these things. I'm going to disagree just a little bit there because okay. you do have the opportunity to try things. You don't have the opportunity to buy your own sailboat and sail it for a year, right? You don't have that opportunity. But you do have the opportunity to get on one, right? Go try it. 
go do some of these things. And I think, you know, we've done an entire episode on this too, talking about happiness deferred and just saying like, I'm just going to wait to try and do all of these little things that I believe will make me happy until that other day where, you know, it's all more possible. Right. And I think this is, it's an interesting founder characteristic, right? In the same way that it's like, hey, I could go join a company that's building something similar to XYZ. Nope, I'm going to go build it myself because I have my own way that I want to do this. We're kind of all or nothing people, right? <laughs> Sometimes to our own detriment, which is like, well, I'm not going to go right on somebody else's stupid sailboat. I'm going to get my own and I'm not going to try it until that point, right? I'm just using the sailboat as a metaphor here, but... I do see this a lot, um, particularly just the life deferment. And it makes me really, truly sad to watch people who I know have enough time to go and do things. And they're just not. I have a founder friend who seems to be constantly jumping from one thing to another. He has one stable business and he spends a lot of time trying to start second, third, fourth, fifth businesses while simultaneously complaining that he doesn't have enough time with his kids or that he doesn't have time to work out or do these other things. And I'm going, man, like, how are you not able to see this when a lot of people around you are pointing this out? That, like, you're chasing this exit. You're trying to get something more scalable than the stable business that you have, which very well could provide you a good lifestyle, could eliminate debt, could do a lot of things. But instead, he's plowing that into trying to grow something bigger, better, more, and there's a whole lot to unpack in that scenario, but it still speaks to that same need that you're talking about, which is like that we've got to get to this end, and then that's the thing that unlocks all of the doors, right? It eliminates the pain, but it also turns on the happiness. And it's just, it's just not true. It isn't. And having been through this myself, when I've kind of gone through this evolution, where I've gone from, you know, again, growing up very poor, not being able to afford food type poor, and getting to a point where I just assumed that being on the other side of that was going to solve a lot of problems. And it did. It solved a ton of problems. It solved that food problem we dealt with. It solved a lot of the dumb kind of problems you can just write a check for yep. and make go away. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's as simple as it needed to be paid for. Now it's paid. End of story. There's nothing else to it. But you said something about sailing that I thought was really interesting, that you can go rent that experience. And I think this is another fallacy in kind of people and how they look at it. There were a handful of things that I did when I started to make some money that I always dreamed about doing, right? Like one of the things I dreamt about was having a nice car. I think it's a pretty common dream, right? And I was so pumped when I bought my first awesome car, right? It was a Lamborghini. It was an amazing car, right? And I felt like somebody had handed me the keys to a roller coaster, right? I was like so <laughs> over the moon. And considering how irresponsible I was, that's probably the right analogy. It's probably how everybody else felt about it too. Right. Oh my gosh. And so super pumped. Again, it was something that I never thought in a million years I'd ever get access to. So, I, you know, there's this whole uh, dreams fulfilled. But what happened is after a few days of driving it, maybe a week of driving it, it just sort of sat in my garage. And I remember my friend came over and he's like, oh my God, are you driving this thing all the time? And I'm like, well, you sort of can't, right? Unless you yeah. have somewhere to be, right? right. Like, I actually can't drive it that much. And I said, it's interesting because not having it was incredibly impactful. Like I just thought yeah. about it all the time. I dreamt about it. But once I had it and I used it and kind of that thrill was gone, there was never a time where I got in it again where it ever felt nearly as impactful. Sure. And, I, and it was really visceral lesson that I learned that the things that I thought would make me happy or give me that joy, unfortunately, often didn't recur. 
So not having that car was an amazing thing. Getting it was even more amazing. Driving it was even more amazing. But owning it, like week two, week three, year 10? Yeah, exactly. I forgot about it. And think of how big of a delta that is between expectations and reality. Because our expectation, Ryan, is that I'm going to get that. And man, I'll be driving it every day. And every day, I'll just be like throwing my hands in the air about how excited I am. Right. Because you don't get to test it. Now, going back to your sailing example, the idea is I can rent a sailboat. And I get out there. I'm like, you know what? This is amazing. If I have the cash to be able to do this, I would do this all the time. Wrong. You would do it once, twice, maybe three times. And if you decide to become a sailor, maybe all that changes. Yes. (laughs) But you're responding to two things you don't have. And again, a lot of it has to do with the fact that you don't have it. Number one, you don't have the cash to do it all the time. And number two, more importantly, you don't have the time to do it all the time. And maybe number three, even if you had both, you wouldn't want to do it all the time. (laughs) That's the thing. You don't have the experience of doing it all the time, which just takes time, right? You can't validate that part of it, right? But you can at least validate, actually, I get seasick, right? I don't, thank God, because I love being on the water. But if you do get seasick and your dream, unvalidated, was to go and make a bunch of money and then buy a sailing yacht, get on it, and you find out that you spend the entire time on the thing vomiting over the edge, you're probably going to regret that, right? These are the types of things you want to validate. Not just again, I'm using vomiting as a metaphor. Um, <laughs> but it's like you want to know this stuff before you pin your North Star and the direction of your life and your company for at least 10 years, maybe more, decades of your life spent on achieving this. You want to know as much about this as you can, right? And this is always funny to me how most entrepreneurs that I know are so curious about so many things, particularly around their businesses, right? They're digging into every little thing. And then when you ask them about themselves, they're like, yeah, I haven't really thought about me much ever. And they're just not curious about that side of it, right? And I think it's really hard to understand where your happiness lies. It's a bit easier to see where your pain and suffering comes from, right? Because well, it can be self-imposed, but there's typically a third-party component to it, right? Like, it could be self-imposed in that, I bought a million dollar house when I could really only afford a $300,000 house. So that's self-imposed. But the third party is the one who's going to incur the pain. The bank is going to come and make me pay for that or throw me out on my duff, right? So to me, you really have to spend some time, some introspection, some curiosity on yourself to understand where any of this goes. And I'm not saying don't go build the business if you can't figure this out, but like don't pin it all on some outcome that you really have no certainty about in either the likelihood of that outcome happening nor the actual happiness, the fleeting happiness that you're going to get, the satisfaction that will be on the other side of that. I think a big part of that too is kind of separating, I want to get out of debt, right? Who doesn't? I want to get out of debt to make pain go away, right? Yes. Which is phenomenal, right? It's a great goal. And I'm not knocking that one at all. It's worth everything you think it is. But the other side of it is, but I will become more happy. And the, you know, the title of this was more about you know, will money buy happiness, not will money get me out of debt. <laughs> that seems right. pretty straightforward. Money will get you out of debt. That, is, yeah, that right. is a proven fact. But let's just dig into the happiness part a little bit because I want to unpack a little bit more about the kind of the nuance of what people think it is versus what it actually is as it relates to their cash. One of the things that we talked about a moment ago was novelty. How a lot of the things that we want money to do, unfortunately have a very short fuse as far as how interesting they are. In other words, let's say that you wanted to go on a vacation to a place you've never been before, 
and you first arrive and you're at a resort, it's a beautiful resort. And the moment you get to that resort, the staff is showing you around and you're just mind blown. You've got this you know, vision of the sea, you've got this great hotel room, you've got all this great stuff and you're just over the moon. A couple days go by, you're around the resort, you're having dinner there, everything's going amazingly. But by about day four, six, eight, you name whatever your threshold is, you're like, oh, okay, I've seen this ocean enough times, right? right. Like, like I'm actually yearning to go back to where I just came from. And it has nothing to do with where you just came from. My wife and I just went on a vacation to Florida, actually, and the weather was amazing. And back in Ohio, the weather was horrible. And when we got home, the weather was absolutely horrible, right? And it was raining. It was cold. It was disgusting. Yes. And we were so glad to be home, right? <laughs> which illustrates the fact that there is novelty in most of these things that we ascribe happiness to be. For sure. And the challenge with that is that no matter how many times we keep trying to buy it, it just slips through our fingers over and over. And we don't get that. We don't understand how hard it is to maintain that novelty feeling, which is why in the end, no matter how much stuff we can buy to try to kind of up our novelty happiness again, it's consumerism at its finest, we keep winding up to a place where we start all over again. Yeah, the bar just moves higher and higher and higher with each purchase. It does, and so, yeah, you've got to keep, you know, one-upping to try to kind of feel that same endorphin rush, if you will, but beyond that, it just keeps masking the fact that however happy or content or well-adjusted you were at the beginning of that purchase, you're the same idiot at the end of that purchase. For sure. Right? Yeah, exactly. You just have less money at that point. Right? <laughs> Maybe a slightly bigger idiot. And like my wife and I talked about this a lot because we've lived in different places. And we had a couple opportunities where we've tried to like live in our dream home, if you will, or a dream location, et cetera. And so we'd move and we'd have all this fanfare about doing it, right? And we'd get there. And at first, just like the vacation, it was awesome, right? With all these new attractions and everything was amazing. But then after a few months, maybe a year, we were back to doing the same stuff we were always doing. We were sitting home right. watching Netflix, right? In an overpriced house in a part of the country we probably shouldn't have been in. And we started to realize that no matter how much we kept trying to like buy that happiness back, we'd always rubber band to where we started. Sure. At the end of the day, you're still the same people. You're going to enjoy the same things. Now, if there are things that you just simply haven't been exposed to, maybe you do discover something new. But, you know, I think the further you get in life, the less likelihood that is that you're just going to discover this brand new shiny thing that's like, oh, this was the key to my eternal happiness. I wish that existed. What you're implying there, too, is, you know, the money isn't necessarily buying the happiness. It's buying you freedom from pain. And, yeah, nothing wrong with that. But if you really dig into it, and I don't think enough founders do this, but if you really dig into it and start to say, okay, how many things could I use this money for? that would actually not just make me elated for a moment, but could sustain happiness. I'll give you some examples. I love playing sports, I love playing hockey specifically. And when I'm playing, it is awesome. Tomorrow I'm gonna play for maybe an hour and a half with my friends and I'm gonna be so excited about it. However, to play this out, you're gonna say, cool, you get to do it for eight hours tomorrow. Not that my body couldn't possibly. <laughs> I would say, I can't wait to talk to you on Thursday. Yeah, yeah, it'd be the last time I play. But okay, I'm like, oh, well, I wouldn't want to play for eight hours. Maybe I'd play for four. Awesome. And you can play the next day and the next day and the next day. After maybe a week, and I don't even know if it goes that long, I'd be like, dude, I'm kind of tired of playing hockey. Point being, it makes me super happy when I play, 
but it only makes me super happy because I only do it infrequently. Same as vacation. Yep. Right? And I think that's where this whole conversation or thought process breaks down. A lot of people don't realize that what makes it special is the fact that you can't always do it, that it has some infrequency. There's entire tomes on psychology written about this very thing, right? I always think about it as the happiness of pursuit, right? Not the pursuit of happiness, but the happiness of pursuit, which is to say that half of it is getting to that point. It's playing the hockey is fun for sure, right? But it's all the things that you had to do to be able to free up time on a Wednesday in the middle of the day to be able to go and play hockey right? That's actually part of the happiness, right? It's the pursuit and achievement of being able to do it, right? The doing it in and of itself certainly drives some endorphins. But to your point, if you were able to do it every day, it starts to lose that component of it. The hockey itself should still be absolutely as fun. But the fact that it's just always available to you takes something away. And I would argue or posit that this is more likely in the case of a founder, than kind of anybody else. Because again, we're pursuers, we're chasers, we're dreamers. We want to go and get the thing that we don't have yet. We want to build the thing that doesn't exist yet. Therefore, once it does exist, it does lose its luster. And that's true for anybody. But I would say that in the founder community, even more so. For me, when I was building my first company, you know, we're starting from nothing. So as it grew, I'm thinking to myself, there is just this Shangri-La other side of this journey, where if <laughs> right. I can get to that part of the journey, all the shit that I'm dealing with now, you know, just think of like getting customers, HR issues, you name it, just the nature of building a company. Once we hit a certain size, we'll be able to hire enough people to go address all those issues, right? We'll hire management. Management will be just these great people that solve all these issues for me. <laughs> and so I thought when I got on the other side, all of the things that were bothering me would go away. Yeah. And so I got on the other side. Turns out one of the things that bothers us most is managers. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. And, and so <laughs> when I got on the other side, I was so disappointed. I was proud that we got there, but yeah. I was disappointed that all my assumptions with getting there were mostly proven wrong. For example, one of my assumptions was that I would feel incredibly validated. Yeah. Right? You know, starting from nothing is very invalidating. You, you feel like shit. And then as the thing starts to grow and takes form and kind of becomes successful by whatever metric, that you'll be validated. And there is some of that. I don't want to discount that altogether. It's just not quite as much as you think it would be, right? Particularly if you're looking from third party, right? If you're looking for third party validation, it's tough because there's only a few people in the world who've been through what you've been through. And none of them have been exactly through what you've been through. And so nobody really knows. They look at it and, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I think we have talked about this before. But rather than getting validation from a lot of people, you get the opposite, right? You get some jealousy or you get people trying to kind of pick apart what you did and make it sound like less than it is, which is exactly the opposite of validation and exactly the opposite of what you were hoping for and needed in that moment. So yeah, that's not really waiting on the other side for you. Well, you know, I thought about it like this. If there was a scale from one to 10 and then zero to negative 10 and how I was feeling at the beginning as far as call it happiness slash validation and the journey with the first company was Clearly negative 10. Everything, yes. <laughs> everything sucked. I was totally broke, right? And had zero validation. When things went the other way and the company took off, I did hit a 10 in validation. The difference is I hit it for like nine seconds, right? right? And then it went down to like a two or whatever it kind of leveled off at. 
I just assumed if you were super broke and unvalidated and you're at negative 10, then once you hit that threshold, you'd go to the other side. And every day you'd be doing cartwheels to your own success, right? (laughs) High five to me, high five to me. Yeah. And you get a few fleeting moments like that, but then they go away. And then you're going, what the hell? Like this was supposed to be something that was so penultimate in my career and I've worked so hard to get here. Right. But now I'm here and it just kind of came and went. Right. What happened? Success, you and I talked about this. We were going to be friends forever and walk <laughs> off into the sunset, right? It just doesn't work that way. And it does present, to your point, some other challenges, you know, relationship challenges, whatever. But that's here nor there as it relates to this discussion, right? What we're really talking about is my journey kind of ended with being free from pain. Right. Right? It was so clear what I needed to get done. It was so clear what that pain was. But really, what I totally miss, what I think a lot of founders here, you know, really have a hard time conceptualizing, is that all we're working toward is to get rid of pain. It has nothing to do with happiness, right? It has to do with unhappiness. But happiness, the things that bring us joy, the things that sustain us, the things that really are what we think is on the other side, actually have nothing to do with cash. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later. Thank you.